Hello and welcome back uh, to our dear listener to this, our last episode. Uh, we've been caught out a little bit. It's our last episode in this in this quarter on stewardship and normally these things go for 13 weeks. Uh, but for some reason, the last one's gone for 14 in the Seventh-day Adventist lesson quarterly and this one's gone for 12. So we're on the 12th and last topic. My name's Cameron. And I'm Lachlan. And I have to admit to being slightly disappointed to have been shortchanged uh, because this quarter has gotten better and better as it's gone through. But actually, it's left me with a number of thoughts that I have um, been hoping there'd be an opportunity to come back to. And finding out only as we sit to record this, that this is in fact the last episode, means that there's a couple of ideas that might not ever turn into podcasts. But that's okay. I'm sure I can survive. We we'll have to keep them aside. The other problem is, of course, that Luke and Ken are not with us, and it would have been nice to have had them to, to help sort of sum up the journey we've been on. Um, let's do a quick recap before we jump into this week's topic, Lock. We started um, 12 weeks ago talking about tithe, and uh, the wording in the lesson was the tithe contract. Mm. Now, <clears throat> this this week's lesson is all about the rewards of faithfulness, and and the direction the lesson was moving in, in the context, in the discussion of tithe, which I remember we were a little uncomfortable about, was a sort of vague suggestion that God does reward those who tithe. That's right. Um, we we did find it a little bit difficult to to accept that at face value. Um, I guess there's a couple of reasons for the difficulty. One is just empirical. If you look around, there are some people who faithfully tithe and seem blessed and there are other people who faithfully tithe and things stay pretty hard um i guess that's one of the challenges yeah and um it it is also a little bit uh, difficult receiving instruction from tithe from from the people who benefit from it and part of that i'll I'll be honest on my part is just stubbornness Hmm. um i'm just more willing to listen if someone stands up and says you know, you should give money to them because they're doing good things. I just find it so much more palatable than someone standing up and saying, you should give money to me because I'm doing good things. And uh, part of that is very cultural. Australians are much more averse to that sort of appeal than Americans on the whole. And um, my my recollection was, as we looked at some of those tithe chapters, there might have been some sort of cultural elements creeping in. In, in the way the topic was breached. Uh, one of the problems we have, of course, is that the tithe seemed to be designed to achieve a large number of purposes. Yeah. And this was going to be my, my comment. What I would have loved to have done is had an opportunity to have have staged somewhat of a debate. Um, I, I think that there's a number of different positions that can be coherently taken and argued on the topic of tithe and that automatically makes quite an interesting sort of discussion in the form of a debate friendly debate Uh, but for example one of the things that's been rolling around and around inside my head ever since the start of this um, season when we were talking about tithe is why is it so um, why is the church so adamant that tithe be calculated essentially on our gross income even the government in Australia is happy to accept that there are some costs associated with the earning of an income and they are deducted before the calculation of the tax owing is determined. And uh, the idea of tithe deductible expenses 
has been rolling around and around and around inside my mind for weeks now. And it's one of those things that we're just not going to be able to revisit in fairness. Well, but it's it certainly seems to me to have some validity. Yeah. And you could imagine, for instance, that a donation to your church Pathfinder Club directly, if your kids are in there and you buy them tents or something, that might be an example of a tithe deductible. It's money being spent directly on the church's benefit. One of the one of the problems we have, Locke, is is the luxury of uh, computational capacity. Hmm. So if you live in a in a agrarian society, everyone's growing their own food and eating it, and no one has a lot of time or computational resources at hand. Any system that you invent is going to necessarily be computationally simple. Mm-hmm. A one in ten, that's easy. Um, you know, we in our in our taxation system is is very different. Um, in the modern world, is it's very complicated, um, and we we sort of make this extra effort in our in civil taxation to ensure that everything is as fair as possible, mm. uh, and that involves different tax brackets and different deductibilities and different this and different that. And to what extent that's applicable to tithe, I think, is a topic worthy of discussion. Mm. Um, so, you know, is there a place? And it would, it would obviously have an extreme. And I think of, of Jesus talking to the people who are tithing the mint and the cumin. Um, there is a sense in which if, if you're obsessed over the details of this too much, you're missing the point. Mm. Uh, but the flip side is, um, is, there, is there, you know, some low-hanging fruit, some things that could be done to help produce a lot of impact on our society and help spread the churches, help spread the good news? Um, you know, the way you design the tax system or the way you design the tithe system um, is designed to prioritise certain economic behaviours. So with with tax, um, you know, putting money into super is a, you get a different tax bracket mm. because that's a wise thing to do with your money, whereas buying a luxury speedboat is is a financial liability. So the government says, by and whole, we want to, on the whole, we want to encourage people to be good stewards. Yeah. So we construct we construct the system to incentivize sensible financial decisions. Well, even and the vocabulary that you're using, uh, financial stewardship, sensible financial decisions, um, uh, this is perhaps wandering slightly past tithe, but in, in the sense of reflecting back over the last um, you know, dozen episodes, there is a tension there, right? Because on the one hand, from a Christian perspective, those same things are good stewardship. They're... Um, planning for uh, being responsible and planning for our financial security and planning for our financial futures. But on the other side, on the other hand, it's almost the attitude that seems to have been poked a bit at when Jesus told that parable about the guy that was saving up all his wealth, but then ended up dying that night anyway and didn't even get to benefit from it. Yeah, exactly. And so there is, there is sort of a conflict here. Um, and we need to move in that direction. Uh, my only final thought on tithe, uh, to sum it up in my sort of my summary is, I think tithe giving is a good principle. Um, it is annoying to me that, you know, and it's quite possible that I, that the traditional model of tithing, I would be convinced of it were a discussion had, fully convinced of it. But the fact that sort of no discussion seems to be allowed, hmm. um you know the fact that the church is so emphatic that it all has to be done pre-tax it all has to be given to the church as an institution um and uh you know there's no there's no room at all for any sort of alternate tithe 
the fact that um, the fact that the discussion isn't had just makes me suspicious that maybe mm. there's a good discussion that could be had. So, you know, there's part of my suspicious nature aroused there. But you're right, Locke, in terms of talking about the, the conflicts. Um, one of the lessons we had this week was on planning for... Not this week, this quarter. One of the lessons we had this quarter was on planning for success, and another one was on avoiding debt. Mm. Now, success in that context um, means being sensible with your money. So, you know setting yourself up so that you're not a burden to the church and to society you know you're not as much as possible and obviously circumstances affect people in different ways and sometimes people just need help if they need help let's help them but you know as much as possible um if it if it is a case of of investing money carefully or or spending it on some you know excessive luxury item then you know there is a place for saying plan for success think carefully um and they went fairly hard-nosed on the debt line. Um, most of our church institutions are in debt of some sort because it's sound business sense to have a, a small amount of debt um, if it is spent in a way that that ensures an increased further income in the future. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's an interesting discussion to be had there. But in any case, planning for success and being careful about debt seems to seems to suggest that our financial state here on earth is something that ought occupy our attention and mm. and that there the prudence is a virtue just being a bit careful and and you know not being extravagant that that's a virtue thing but in the next breath we're told no 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 we have to store up our treasure in heaven things on this world should be as nothing to us yeah and yeah and we should instead and, of being instead of being circumspect and what was the word that you just used um prudent. sort of avoiding excess avoiding extravagance yeah. we're told we're told that we should be extravagant in the lavishing of our generosity and kindness and love on those around us in need yeah exactly um and so we ought so uh this word stewardship seems to be a remarkably flexible <laughs> word I'm reminded of, I've referred to this before, but I'm reminded of Dr. Chaucer's sermon in, in The Importance of Being Earnest. A sermon on the meaning of manner in the wilderness is suitable for almost any occasion. You know, you can give it at a wedding or at a funeral or, or anything. Um, <laughs> so this word seems to be suitable for, you know, almost any purpose. And um, that is the biggest thing I've taken out of this quarter is that stewardship is not a problem which is solved by scripture. Mm. It's not it's not like it's not like that where there's a question how we use our resources here on earth. And the Bible doesn't present a neat answer. The Bible outlines four or five good things you can do with your money. So, being generous is a good thing you can do with your money. Mm. Giving to the church is a good thing you can do with your money. But, of course, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for telling people to give money to the church instead of looking after their family because looking after your family is a good thing you can do with your money. Yeah. Um, uh, planning for your retirement is a good thing you can do for your money. You know, you know, trying, Paul says, in we read a passage in the New Testament where Paul said, you know, as much as possible, don't be a burden. Mm. If you can work, work. Um, if you, you know, so that you can provide for the people who can't work. And hard times come on us all at various, various times, so... Um, you know, be cheerful in providing for others and cheerful in accepting help when you need it. But mm. if you can provide, then provide. So um, that's a good thing to do 
with your earthly reason. So what we're presented with is not an answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> the answer, what should I do with my money? The Bible doesn't give an answer. The Bible doesn't say, here is the definitive thing you should do. Yeah, yeah. And and it doesn't even give any sort of guidance on a breakdown. If, if, there, if you are presented with a number of good things to do with your money, then maybe the responsible thing is to do some combination of those, you know, the, a certain amount of giving and a certain amount of saving and a certain amount of um, yeah. supporting your family. Um, but... But there doesn't seem to be any guidance in terms of, of the relative fractions of such. Other than the 10% tie, that's the only thing that has a mathematical yeah. sort of quantification. But even then, um, you know, we've, we've explored well and truly enough the, the complications of the fact that many of the things covered by the tithe, as described in the Bible, are in our world and society already done or parallel done or partly done by by other elements of our um financial citizenship and and so yeah. it's <clears throat> and surely surely that's something we should celebrate so the fact that we live in a society where where not the church people outside the church are at least nominally interested and as a society it's officially recognized we should be interested in the plight of people who are doing it tough mm. that's a win yeah so so we should say well what are, the health message the fact that society is by and large more health conscious than ever before and that that gives us less of a point of difference is a huge victory. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, what a wonderful thing. Um, so so what do you do, though, when some of the, the jobs that the church used to fill are sort of partly taken over? You know, even even the fact we just had a public holiday in Tassie because Tasmanians love public holidays. We have heaps more than you guys do up in the mainland. But this mm. one was to celebrate the eight-hour working day. <laughs> yep. Now, the, one of the points about the Sabbath commandment is that it avoids exploitation. You have to give your workers at least one day off a week. Mm. So it, it, it limits the employer's ability to, um, to abuse the rights of the employees. Mm. And so, you know, the eight-hour working day as a sort of a hallmark success of the labour movement, the idea of saying that there ought to be some limit on the number of hours that employers can expect you to do. In many ways, that is secular society adopting one of the Sabbath principles. Yeah, and in case any listeners are inclined to assume that the eight-hour working day has somehow been standard throughout all of history, I was I was astonished to learn only just today, listening to a totally unrelated podcast myself, um, one of the things that happened in the, the European colonialization of the American continents um, was the introduction of a number of animals. And some of those animals were, were livestock, obviously, for food and other, other resources. Along the way, one of the things that it did was it made it dramatically easier to make candles, which, of course, provide artificial light. And the biggest impact of cheap candles was you could get more work out of your slaves. All right. Yeah. Because you, they make didn't them, have to stop when the sun went down. Light. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Candles are fantastic at increasing slave productivity. All right. Lot. <laughs> um, so, so all I'm commenting on is you're exactly right. The 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 default <laughs> the default expectation yeah. is one of of maximum exploitation in that context, yeah. and, and to achieve a standard society expectation that no, it's normal for people to work some, but then have some time that's their yeah. own 
You're, you're right. So that if you're is, wanting... In many ways, that is a, a daily lived expression of yeah. some elements of what Sabbath is. Of what Sabbath is. And if you're wanting to support God's principles at work in the world, and not just support it in principle, but give some practical support, in our society, that means involvement in a political system, being an informed voter. Mm. Now, that's that didn't mean anything to the ancient Israelites. There was no voting. Hmm. So, you know, the, uh, how this... How this plays out in terms of our time resources and our monetary resources um, and our emotional energy resources and all the rest of it, um, there's going to be some level of adjustment that needs to take place. And there are all these different principles. Like I just remembered a verse and I was hunting for it and it turned out to be in Romans 12 where I knew it should be because it's one of my favourite chapters, but I, I didn't realise it was there till I looked in the concordance. But when, when Paul's summing up near the end of Romans 12, um, no, it's not near the end, it's near the start, um, he says, you know, we're each a body with different members and these members don't have the same function and we belong to Christ, we're the body of Christ and we belong to all the others, but we have different gifts. And what are the gifts? Some, some of them prophesy, um, some of them is serving and if your gift is serving, then serve and if it's teaching, if it's teach, if it's to encourage, give encouragement, if your gift is giving, then give generously. Mm-hmm. Now that implies that not everyone's gift is giving right what how do you know know? that that verse provides a really helpful perspective on the conundrum that we posed i think i may have even been one of the ones bringing it up a number of episodes ago remember this contrast between what's the best option should you give like mother Teresa or give like bill gates yeah um well what you've just read reminds us all reminds me that we're not all the same it's not really about which is better, is it? There are some for whom the most ultimate expression of living the life they're called to live is the Mother Teresa path. And there are others for whom the most ultimate expression of doing that is pursuing uh, financial success and, and successful business activities that lead to platforms from which to make great but different kinds of change and impact. Yeah. <clears throat> And I think that maybe this, maybe the fact that we are different and we have different circumstances is a good reason why the Bible doesn't give us, you know, a simple three-point plan to stewardship. There, there is a danger with thinking about the right option, the perfect choice. There's, there's two problems with it. Uh, one is, if you're trying to think of stewardship, what's the perfect way to be a good steward? It might paralyze you. Mm. You never find the perfect way, so you never commit to anything. And you say, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is what God is. This definitely what God. Am I sure that this is what God wants me to do? Is it? Is this the right plan God has for me? Does He want me? To, does He want me to, you know, definitely save up for a safe retirement? Yeah, He definitely wants me. To, I'm going to lock that in. Oh no, 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 I'm not. He definitely wants me to be gentle. Oh well, I can't lock anything in. Mm. Um, mm. So you know, then you're paralyzed into inactivity. The opposite extreme is if you think you have found the perfect plan you have no flexibility. You decide when you're 18 that God's plan is for you to become filthy rich so that you can be the next Bill Gates and give to lots of people. And you just go at it, pull it a gate, and, and maybe circumstances change, or maybe you were wrong. or yeah. But because you've sort of thought you've found the perfect option, there's no, there's no pause for a reflection. So um, there's sort of two sort of opposite extreme dangers of looking for the perfect plan. If you stop saying what is the plan 
What is the thing God wants me to do with my resources? And you start asking the question, what is a good thing? Mm. What good can I achieve with these resources? You will never have, this is the where I've sort of summed up with this topic, you'll never have the peace of mind of knowing, ah, I've definitely got it solved now, I'm set. Yeah. But you will at least always be on the lookout, ready to change your mind, ready to change your plan, ready to mm. rethink things, being creative. And you might actually just be more satisfied because you might say, well, I haven't achieved everything. But God's got more people in the world than just me and he's got the cattle on a thousand hills and he's, uh, you know, I've at least done some good with, mm. with what's been entrusted to me. Yeah, I like that. And it does lead us very naturally. We're taking a long time to get there, but this... This is the final episode of the season, and it talks about the reward for faithfulness. That's, I think, what it's called uh, in the lesson mm. uh, for the week. And just before we hit the record button, you and I were both discussing this word reward. Um, it's a the- worry. And, <laughs> and the, they, they, are, they skirt around this with a delightful ambiguity. So the first sentence, I didn't really get past in my own mind the first sentence um, on, on the lesson for Sabbath afternoon. Um, Though we can never earn salvation, agreed, that's, that's good. We're, we're sort of staking where we stand on the faith works continuum. So that, though we can never earn salvation, the Bible uses the hope of reward as a motivation for faithful living, as undeserving recipients of God's grace. Whoa, whoa. If you get a reward, you're not undeserving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, And then it has to qualify by adding, for in the end, whatever we receive is always and only from God's grace. So um, we can't earn salvation, but we can hope for a reward. Mm. A a reward, and that's a motivation for faithful living. And we might get rewarded as undeserving recipients of God's grace. That's that's, uh, hedging bets too much for my liking. Yeah. Well, then you you pointed me to this verse in Revelation 22, Cam. Revelation 22. Um, it came from the lesson. There's so some proclamations. It's one of the ones they quoted. Right. Well, uh, um, there's some proclamations of the, of the coming of Jesus. Uh, and in verse 12, um, and I'm reading from a Bible that has words of Jesus in red. These words happen to be in red. So the interpretation of the translators here in this case is the words of Jesus saying in Revelation 22, verse 12, Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Um, That's pretty explicit, Lot. <laughs> there you are. The lesson was totally legitimately using the word reward, it seems, according to that verse taken somewhat yeah. uh, isolated from its context. Look, I think the issue with the, with the idea of reward is it's, it's, it's connected to the same paralyzation that you just talked about. Um, you know, am I... Is this the right decision? Is this the decision that earns me my reward? Um, and I, I am just a little concerned that the whole approach um, just does lead to to become it becomes a bit crippling, um, and it becomes inward focusing. I, I think that hmm. lock it would be fun. A thought occurs to me: it'd be fun to just explore how many contexts the word reward is used in. So, what's the context in which this is most troubling? Um, you get a promotion at work as a reward for being better than your yeah. employees or, or being considered more suitable for a management position. So out of all the yeah. people, you know, at your level, you, you get rewarded by a promotion. That That is the sense in which this sentence is quite troubling. And the sense in which Christ's statement in Revelation 22 is quite troubling. Mm. 
Christ is going to come back and reward us. You know, we made the cut. Mm. That's not the only context, though, in which we use the, the statement reward. What about my wife, Melissa, who gives to her junior piano students a sticker when they finish learning a song on the piano? Mm. There is no sense in which they have earned the sticker. I guess there is a sense in which they've earned the sticker, but playing a song doesn't inherently lead to to the sticker in quite the same way. Or maybe here's a better example. We go walking, bushwalking, and when when our kids were young, we had a rule, and the rule was... Um, it's going to be hard work when we're out bushwalking. Um, one of the things I've discovered is when you take young kids camping, you should never tell them how easy and fun it will be. You always tell them how hard it will be mm. and how it'll it'll be exhausting and we're going to be so tired and so sore. We'll be so proud afterwards because of how tough we were and then hopefully they'll find the experience surprisingly enjoyable. Yeah. Um, there's a sort of a reverse psychology at work. But when I first took my kids camping, one of the things I said to them, I said, oh, it's going to be hard work. We're going to be walk- We're going to be walk six kilometres. Uh, I tell you what, let's take along a block of chocolate. And every time we walk a further kilometre, we will stop and take off our packs and reward ourselves with mm. a square of chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's similar to, um, you know, uh, advice that I've given my son on a number of occasions in recent months uh, about, you know, can I, the question will come, can I do this, whatever it is, you know, play a play a game or, or read a book or... Um, or do yeah. do something that I want to that's pleasurable, and I'll say, yeah, but don't forget you've also got to do, and then it will be something like clean your room, or unpack your school bag, yeah. or unstack the dishwasher, or whatever it might be, something that's less fun. And I'll suggest, why don't you, why don't you do the unfun thing first, and then let that fun thing that you're wanting to do be a kind of reward in your mind. Yeah, yeah. But You'll but really you're right. Enjoy it. It's not. It's not an that's that's not an earning transaction at all. That's that's actually a motivation transaction, and I actually think that that might be a little bit of a key to what's going on here. Um, yeah. The the idea of thinking about the reward for our faithfulness is is I think more helpful if you're thinking of it as well. Hang on a minute. Why are you even asking questions like how can I be a responsible steward? Surely they they are motivated most directly by thinking in terms of how can I align my agency with the big picture, and so oh. so you're so you're not trying to say what can I do now to build up credit points yeah. to earn a reward, but rather yeah. you're sort of thinking okay what is the motivating framework that I'm choosing to adopt what's the what's the yeah what's the narrative that I want that yeah. I am that I'm choosing to be part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe it, maybe it's a little bit more like the block of chocolate every kilometre. Maybe it's like the block of chocolate. And, you know, my son didn't earn the chocolate. Or at least, not, not, and he certainly didn't earn, you know, any affection from me by walking an extra kilometre. Mm-hmm. He earned, the, the thing he earned, the thing, the thing that was the consequence of his action was pride, a sort of a, not a unrighteous, but a, 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 satisfaction in knowing you'd done something hard yeah that that was the actual reward that that was that's the reward for climbing a mountain mm. um that's hard to explain to a six-year-old and the chocolate is in many ways just a proxy yeah for that there's uh, um so but but it you know is there's no moral law that states 
everyone who walks a kilometre gets chocolate. Mm. Um, and there's no sense and, in which the walking of a kilometre generates chocolate. Yeah. And, you know, if you're wanting a holiday overseas and you say to yourself, well, I shall not book that holiday until I've lost five kilos. You know, these are the games we play with ourselves. There's no connection, intrinsic no. connection, between the holiday overseas and the losing five kilos. But that connection made has a useful psychological effect for us. Yeah. So maybe that's the maybe that's the game in the sense that's being played here, in as much as it sometimes costs us. Um, you know, we don't always get positive endorphins by doing the right thing in the moment. Yeah. Just like walking the kilometre is sometimes hard. Maybe it's useful to say, I tell you, well, after I've done it, I'll get this. Mm. Mm. Um, and there may not actually be a very strong connection between the two. But yeah. but there is a connection in a diff- in a bigger sense. I wanted my son to learn to enjoy camping. Um, and so it might not have been chocolate. It might have been something else. It might have been something else he enjoyed or, you know, whatever it was. But as a loving parent, of course, I'm going to try and make the experience rewarding mm. for my son. Mm. Um, so maybe maybe what maybe what the lesson is saying is that God is looking... It, it doesn't feel like it always in the moment. But just remember that God is looking for ways to reward people who put in effort. He's, he wants to make a meaning... He wants to make the right sort of life rewarding. The right sort of life is rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. The right sort of life, you know... When you look back on it, you'll say, oh, so glad I did that. Mm. Um, so maybe that's a sense. It reminds me <coughs> like of the... Oh, dear, this jolly cough's not going away. My apologies to the listener for all my coughing and spluttering. Um, it reminds me of this phrase that turned up about treasuring, storing up treasure in heaven. Hmm. On a strictly literal sense, it's, it's, it's very bewilderingly complex. Storing up treasure in heaven... What what heaven is the treasure being stored in? What is the treasure? Does the treasure do we do we use those funds to get into heaven, or are they funds we spend, metaphorically speaking, when we are in heaven, or is or is heaven itself the thing that's being the experience of living in heaven? Is 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 that the treasure? Mm. Um, and the metaphor becomes really complicated. And when you step back a bit and you say, well, just hang on, um, maybe it's not so much about saving now to cash it in later to cash you know we're building brownie points mm. um with god now so that he'll be pleased enough with us later to you know let us in um to give us our reward um uh maybe it is more uh um what did we say uh, don't stir up your treasure in heaven treasure heaven yes yeah well that's the same idea here right so if you are treasuring heaven then that's the same thing. That's choosing what narrative you want to be part of. That's choosing the mm. um, the overall motivation structure. That's that, saying that that's saying I can't wait to, to live. Prioritize. A, yeah. So if you treasure heaven, you say I can't wait to live a good life because mm. in the end it will be so rewarding. Yes. Yeah. Which which is not the same as saying if I tick these boxes, I will get a reward. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a verse. We need Ken here because Ken has the spiritual gift of synthesis, and and he he would be able to accumulate these thoughts into a nice, you know, passage from the Bible as he so often does for us, and sort of tie it off neatly. But I'm I'm trying to think of a of a Bible passage like that would summarise this concept of. Um, All right, it's a, there's an oblique one. There's a the feeling that I have is actually leading me to recall the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're hauled in front of King Nebuchadnezzar 
Yeah. And and they say, look, um, our God can save us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we're we're just not we're just not going to play your game. We're we're not going to accept your rules. We've chosen the the motivating narrative. We we've chosen the the story that we want to live in, and there's really nothing you can do about it. So do your worst. Um that seems to me to be a pretty good example of, of the idea that I have in my mind, the sort of picture of, um, you know, the, whether they yeah. were picturing it tangibly as if we martyr ourselves in this fire, we will be rewarded with an extra jewel in our physical crown in a resurrected life is sort of irrelevant, isn't it? Because really what they were saying is, look, we've chosen what our priorities are. Um, and... And there, it's an interesting example, in fact, the Daniel story um, and his friends. And I think there's a great Bible passage to end on. You know, we were a bit confused about, does God want us to be rich or does he want us to be poor? Hmm. And Daniel was rich in Jerusalem. Then he was very poor as a captive. And then he was very rich as a ruler in the king's court. Hmm. And then he was very poor in every other sense it could be possibly imagined to be poor in the lion's den. And Mm. then he was very rich again afterwards. Um, But none of those circumstances seemed really to faze him. Yeah. uh, Because because he treasured heavenly things. Mm. Um, And and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say in the the fiery furnace, they just say, look, King, we we know that you're quite capable of doing everything that you said you're going to do. But we just don't think that's the right sort of life. Mm. Um, So that's... That's a challenge for us. And the, the problem is, uh, C.S. Lewis said, the problem is not that we want things as humans. We want too many things. Um, the problem is that we are too easily satisfied. <laughs> you know, we're, we're happy with mere money or power or sex or reputation when God wants us, you know, to hunger for something, a, yeah. a big picture cause. A big. We're part of something really big into which mm. all those things may... may have a part and play a role and and you know our fortunes in this life can go up and down um but we're we're sort of playing a a larger larger game uh so uh yeah i think that that's that's a great bible passage to finish on and Locke, i think we should wrap it up our mind the clock we haven't you know we're gonna we might almost finish sub 40 minutes which at one time was our stated aim and we've we've sort of lost track of that Mm. um we're really excited to um know that there are listeners out they're downloading this podcast. We're even more excited when we hear from you. If you have any thoughts, you can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And we're just really interested to know what you think. We certainly don't believe that our treatment of any of these topics is exhaustive. And really, the bit that matters is not the ideas. It's the way the ideas find expression in our lives. And all of our listeners, uh, all of you, our listeners, will have will have different life experiences that will shed new light on you know what these principles mean when they're put into practice and it's really you know all of our challenges to not just talk about it but to actually do it and certainly with stewardship that's something i find harder than than it ought to be um so we're you know really interested to hear from you and please share this podcast with anyone you feel would benefit and um join us again as we embark on a new topic next week